by the way, we should be able to let you know in the next week or so what the plan is with that church trinity. Uh, again, thank you for the feedback y'all gave. We're praying about that. Praying about that. But open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We're back in our series through the book of Exodus. Our study series, our sermon series. Exodus chapter 20. If you have your Bibles and can follow along, whether it's on a Bible or on an app. My daughter, one of my daughters, I'm actually not allowed to say which daughter it is. I made a deal with her that I would not say which it is, but I'm going to share something that she put in her journal. She said, you could share it, just don't say which daughter it is. So one of my daughters likes to journal. We journal together. Uh, don't do it too often, uh, but uh, we, we, we started doing it last year. And recently I saw something that she wrote down, I guess it was last fall, last winter. Um, so she's got a journal, and, and, and I helped her mark out sections. So one section is things to be thankful for, and she'll think of things that God gave her you know, recently. Then there's another section, prayers, like what, what you're asking God to do. Then there's another section of, we call it lessons learned. So whether it was from Sunday morning, whether it was from reading the Bible, something that stood out to her that she learned. And the last section is confessions, right? Her just being honest, I screwed up kind of thing. So in the confessions section, I noticed recently, I, 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 you know, this is from last fall, that she had put, I yelled at mommy. This is her doing. She wrote it down. I yelled at mommy. And when I had asked her, why did you yell at mommy? She wrote, the next thing she wrote was, cottontail was lost. Cottontail is a stuffed animal. So she yelled at mommy because cottontail was lost, and I guess mommy couldn't find cottontail. But when I asked her, well, why did you yell at mommy because cottontail, what was the connection there? She had the insight to write, he was too important. Ain't that deep? He was too important. Cottontail was too important. Does anybody else relate to having a cottontail in their life? Things they make too important? Anybody relate to having a cottontail that you, is so valuable to you, it's so precious to you, it's such a treasure to you, it's so important to you that when it is threatened, when it is lost, when somebody gets in the way, when somebody else becomes an obstacle to that thing, you get mad, you lash out, you yell, you threaten, you blame, you get anxious, you get depressed. Anybody else have things like that in their life from time to time? Big things, little things. Isn't that at the root of all our discontentment? Something has become too important, it gets threatened in some way, and then we lose our minds. We lose our contentment. We lose our joy. We lose our peace. A few years ago, I saw the movie The Company Men. Anybody ever see that with Ben Affleck? He plays a uh, corporate, you know, big corporate guy. He's, he's, he's devoted to his job. He's, he's committed. He gets his worth from his job, from his success. And then in the market crash of 2008, he loses his job. He's let go. He's fired. And you see him kind of spiral. And he doesn't know who he is. And he loses his sense of identity and purpose in life. And, and it's just this, it's, it's a great picture of somebody who made their job, their career too important only to have it get threatened. And then he's discontent. He loses his, his joy, his peace. We can all relate to this. We can all relate to putting our hope too much into something, too much weight into something or somebody. We depend on it too much for our joy and our peace. And then when it's gone, we are let down and we're angry. You, you see it in other people. We, we're, we're good at seeing it in other people, aren't we? 
Like when, when you get into a marriage counseling session, the spouses are great at pointing out, well, she makes such and such too important. She makes the, it's all about the kids. It's all about her job. It's all about the gym. It's all about his golf. It's all about his job. It's all about his friends, right? We're it, it, pointing the finger. She's married to blank. He's married to blank. We don't often see it in ourselves until something is threatened. When somebody does this with alcohol, they put too much weight into alcohol. Alcohol is going to comfort me. It's going to give me like peace. We call that an alcoholic. When somebody does that with their work, we call it a workaholic. When somebody does that with shopping, it's a shoppingholic. But the Bible has another name for it. It calls it idolatry. Taking a created thing, elevating it too high, making it a god, and a false god at that because it cannot deliver on what it promised us. It cannot deliver on what we believed it would deliver on. So we're back in our series through the Exodus, but more specifically, we're back talking about the Ten Commandments. I got these stones from Home Depot. The Ten Commandments that God put on two tablets of stone with Moses at Mount Sinai. We often wonder, what were the Ten Commandments about? Like, why did he give them? We have misconceptions about that. So we're taking three weeks to discuss the Ten Commandments. Last week, we started just by giving a, getting a bird's eye view. We just laid them out. We looked at them from a bird's eye view and said, this was about God setting his people free in order to live free. The Ten Commandments were not a way, in other words, to earn salvation. God didn't come to them in Egypt and say, you get good at following these Ten Commandments and I'll free you from bondage. No, God rescued them first. And then he said, here's how I want you to live because these commandments are going to lead you into joy and peace and fulfillment the way I intended creation to be from the get-go. You don't earn your way into my good graces. I've saved you, and now this is how I want you to live. You've been set free to live free. And you and I are still being set free from, by Jesus when we trust in him. We're forgiven of our sins. His Holy Spirit is put in us. And then he says, and here's how I want you to live. I want you to live in a way that's going to lead to actual joy and peace and fulfillment for you. I want you to live in such a way that the rest of the world's going to go, wow, there's something different about that people called True Life Church, that community, that family, that person that I work with. There's something different. So that was last week. This week, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments, but we're going to look at it through the filter of the First Commandment. We're going to take the First Commandment, and we're going to kind of like, like, like glasses, look at all of them like that. I know that's odd, but... That's what we're going to do. The title is called No Other Gods. So we're going to be again in chapter 20 verses 2 through 17. No Other Gods. That gives away what the first commandment is if you didn't know. Let's, let's pray and then we'll just jump right into it. By the way, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, part one is going to be what is the first commandment? What does it mean? Part two will be how does it affect the other commandments? And then part three is going to be us confessing what has become too important in our lives. Okay? So Lord, help us today. As the wind blows, I'm reminded of Jesus speaking to Nicodemus who said the spirit is like the blowing of the wind. You can't see it. You can feel it. You can't control it but you can benefit by it. So Lord, uh, I, I pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, open our eyes today to see your word for what it is, to hear from you, to filter out my words, the stuff that's not helpful, and to hear you. 
I pray most of all that all of us would see you in a greater way. That the things of our hearts that have become too important would become smaller and you would become bigger. Hmm. In your name. Amen. Okay. Let's just jump right into it. Verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So again, he reminds them what he has done. I'm your God. I saved you. I rescued you. I delivered you. The gods of the Egyptians didn't deliver you. The gods of the surrounding nations didn't deliver you. I did it. Therefore, first commandment, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. If I rescued you, if I saved you, if I'm your creator, I get to say, you worship me. I'm God. I'm God alone. Don't have any other gods before me. Now, that word before, some people think it, you know, it has the idea of um, I can have other gods so long as God is first, and then the other gods can be second, third, and fourth. That's not what it's saying. Th that word before indicates being in his presence. You shall have no other gods in my presence. Get them out of here. It's similar to if I took home a girlfriend to Jess and said, hey, babe, this is Stacy. She's going to live with us for a while. Don't worry. You're still number one, but I'm just going to spend a little time with her, maybe one or two days a week. You get the other five days. Would she have it? No way. And rightfully so. It doesn't matter if Stacy is second or third on the list of women. My wife would be like, get any other woman out of my presence. No other women before me. And God gets to do the same thing. If he's our creator, if he's ultimate authority, he gets to demand that we give him ultimate obedience. If he's the one who loves us and has a plan for our joy and our peace, he's the one who gets to say, give me your ultimate devotion. No other gods. The Egyptians tried to play this game where they believed in him. They saw God do the miracles and they, they, they believed in him. They believed that the God of Israel was real. They just didn't want to worship him alone. They wanted to have their other gods too. And that's what some of us do, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in God, but I really need blank cottontail, right? Whatever that cottontail is. Sure, I believe in God, but I really need, I really desire. In order for me to be happy, I have to have, I have to be recognized as, I have to be praised for, I need so-and-so's approval, Right? Now, some of us do it, you know, we, we, subconsciously. We don't know we're doing that. Others of us, consciously, we say, I don't believe in God. Like, maybe he's real, but, you know, Jesus is just one of many gods. Either way, God looks and says, no, 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 no. I love you too much not to demand your ultimate worship. Me and me alone. Now, what makes something a false god? How do we know when we've taken something and elevated it too high? Well, two things. Two things, we, we see that thing or that person as ultimate authority that we give our obedience to. I'm going to do what it tells me to do. I'm going to listen to it. And ultimate fulfillment that we give our devotion to. This is what gives me my fulfillment, my identity. I want to give you a few examples from our culture at large. This is kind of, generally speaking, our culture tends to worship some of these things. It's not an exhaustive list. I don't have time to go into everything. But um, 
and here's why I'm doing this, because oftentimes we look at other societies, other cultures that we maybe deem less civilized or more primitive, and, and, and you know, we see them worshiping a tree or dancing around a fire, praying to a chicken, and we go, man, we don't do that. We're too enlightened, we're too civilized, we're too sophisticated. Well, we just have more sophisticated idols, if, if maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's the case, but we still have idols. Here's a few examples. And by the way, none of these examples are wrong in and of themselves. I'm not condemning the activities. I'm not condemning the, um, the, the, the things in and of themselves, but it's when we elevate them too high, and I see this in our culture, and I think you'll agree with me. Number one is sports. Now, I'm not saying all these folks here are worshiping their favorite sports team, but if somebody from a primitive culture came to us and we said, no, we don't idolize things, they'd be like, really? 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 We do this as a way of escape sometimes. We escape into the sports world. It's as a hobby. We, we know more about our favorite teams, more about the NFL, more about uh, players than we do about Scripture. We study, right, their careers more than we study Scripture. Some of us, maybe teenagers in high school or in college, we put too much hope into our sports. This is going to give me the good life. If I'm successful at this, it's going to get me into college. It's going to get me that scholarship. It's going to get me a career. I'm going to be, you know, we put so much hope into that. It becomes our ultimate authority. It tells us what to do. It tells us what sacrifices to make. My town was crazy about wrestling, and I was part of the wrestling team. I saw this. You make, you make whatever sacrifices are necessary for wrestling in my town growing up. It was ultimate authority. Parents do this with their kids' sports, don't we? Well, if my kids' sports makes this schedule, I have to obey. I have to obey. I have to obey. Kids do this. They make their sports. We're wrestling with this about our kids, with gymnastics and soccer. What boundaries do we set up? How do we make sure that we're encouraging uh, a, a gift from God on one hand, but on the other hand, going on, but it ain't going to be our God. It ain't going to be our ultimate authority. It ain't going to tell us what to do. It's a wrestle. It's a wrestle. Here's another example. Celebrity worship. We have a culture that's fascinated with famous people. We want to know the nitty-gritty of their personal lives. If they're on Oprah, oh, I got to see this. I want to learn something about them. If you Google celebrity worship, you will see a bunch of secular psychological studies done on this. It's fascinating. The different levels of celebrity worship, you know, needing to get the latest People magazine, be in the know on somebody's life, so that around the, 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 the coffee and the water cooler on Monday morning, you're, you're in the know. Here's another one. Technology. Technology. Our culture just idolizes technology, don't we? Having to have the latest and the greatest, for some of us, it's a status symbol. For others of us, it's just an addiction. Need to be engrossed in it. And that ties in with just entertainment, period, doesn't it? Just needing to be entertained, needing to be numbed. I feel anxious. Give me something to do. Give me something to escape into, whether it's video games or movies or theater or whatever. Give me something. When, when a kid says, right, I'm bored, I'm bored, usually that's an indicator. Something's going on in their soul. If you can't just go find something to do and play on your own, right, there's, there's something there. Next one. Politics. I used old school examples. There's JFK. Here's Nixon's team. 
Because I didn't want to stir anything up today unnecessarily. <laughs> that those, I did that last fall and I'm still getting emails about that. But we, listen, first of all, let me, let me clarify. The church is called to be engaged in politics. It is called, we, we are called to be a political community because God's kingdom is coming on this earth. It's not a, just a spiritual kingdom. It's a material kingdom that's coming and we're to give hints and foretastes of that kingdom. And we're going to talk more about this in September when we return to Exodus and, and look at justice, purity, and holiness in the law. But we too often put our hope into human candidates, human parties, human tribes, and human ideologies. Too much. And how do we know when it's an idol? Well, here's some indicators. When it becomes our ultimate authority. When it says, regardless of what the Bible says, when a political party says, here's an important justice issue, and we say, okay, I'll make it important. But this one we don't care that much about. Well, then I'm not going to care much about it. Even if the Bible does, you're my ultimate authority. I'll do what you tell me to do. I'll, make pri I'll prioritize according to what your platform is. That's an indicator it's become an idol. When you can celebrate what your favorite candidate has done right, but you can't admit when they do something wrong, probably an idol. Probably an idol. Especially when you have to demonize the other side, demonize the other side as if they're demons, as if we don't wrestle against spiritual principalities, but it's actually flesh and blood that we're wrestling against. Indicator that's probably an idol. When you have hatred for another side, probably an idol. Probably idolatry. Striking any chords yet? Food and alcohol. How about food and alcohol? We have a culture that has unlimited access to food and alcohol, pretty much. And it becomes the source of our comfort, the source of our peace, doesn't it? When we're anxious, too often we run to the bottle, we run to the midnight snack, we run to these things. And by the way, the Bible condemns gluttony as much as it condemns drunkenness. Right? I know in church circles we love to say, no alcohol at church functions, but let's just get gluttonous with the food. <laughs> right? It's like, no, no, no. It's, it's both. It's both. Um, that's why we call our church to church-wide fasts. It's a way of saying, food, you're not my God. God's my God. As much as I want food right now, God, I really want you right now. As much as I want food to comfort me, no, God, you're my source of comfort. You're my source of peace. We have people who fast weekly on their own. We have groups that fast together. But we call our church a few times a year to a, a church-wide fast. Recently, my men's group that I lead with uh, Frank Martinez, John Perel challenged us all to do a 21-day Daniel fast with him, which is like fruits and veggies and, and, and some, some grains. Basically, you can't have caffeine, alcohol, or meat. Um, and processed sugar, stuff like that. So it's like the rich foods that you enjoy. And everybody was like, what about caffeine? Can you pray about caffeine, John? And John came back to us and was like, I've been praying about it, and our addiction to caffeine tells me it's an idol. So let's do it. Let's go, let's go without it. Let's see if we Let's see. His words were, as much as we depend on caffeine to wake us up and give us energy, let, let's, let's depend on God for that. And I'm thinking, do I really believe God can give me the same energy that caffeine does? <laughs> can I be honest? I doubted God. Here's another one. Sex. Sex. Our culture, first of all, sex is a gift from God to be used in marriage. It's a tool that God wants us to use in marriage for the sake of building intimacy and expressing what marriage is meant to be uh, for. Outside of marriage, it's like taking a butcher knife from a kitchen that is a healthy tool in the kitchen, putting it in your pocket and going to play flag football with it. It's dangerous to yourself. It's dangerous to other people. 
And our culture has basically got on the, the, the runaway sex train and it's led to all kinds of evils. Here's a few statistics. 90% of children ages 8 to 16 have viewed porn in our culture. 90%. The largest consumers of pornography are 12 to 17-year-old boys. Porn sites comprise 12% of the internet. 70% of men ages 18 to 34 visit a porn site in a typical month. 25% of search requests are for porn. 25%. Take that in for a minute. Is that not a symptom of idolatry? 50% of pastors regularly look at porn. 38% of adults say porn is morally acceptable. It's okay. It's an okay idol, in other words. And there's more statistics. The, 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 the connection with human trafficking and sex trafficking. Um, it, there's just so much evils that have come because we've made sex an idol. I'm going to stop there. I think you get the idea. Our enlightened, sophisticated culture, our civilized culture, is no different than the societies we look down our noses at who dance around a campfire to a chicken. We do the same thing with politics and sports and entertainment and sex, don't we? We are a worshiping culture. You can't help but worship something. You can't help but give your obedience to something and your affections to something. And this happens because the original human beings, Adam and Eve, in the garden, committed the first act of idolatry. They took this fruit that was forbidden. The one thing God said, don't touch the fruit. They took this fruit that they thought was going to open their eyes and lead to more freedom. They could make them more like God, they thought. So they took the fruit. It was a doorway into a better life. But instead, it didn't deliver on its promise because idols don't deliver because they're not real gods. It didn't deliver. It broke the world. Everything was fractured. And since then, we have been following in the footsteps of our first parents, looking to created things for happiness, for peace, for the better life. The Apostle Paul would later say in Romans 1, going to look at a few excerpts from there. In verse 21, he said, for although, he's talking about all of us, they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. We took created things in our darkened and futile thinking and said, that's going to make me happy. And we chase after it, and we push other people aside to get it, only to find out it doesn't deliver. Christians do this. We say God is God, but we chase after other things. But even atheists who claim, I don't worship things. I'm not religious. I'm not into that stuff that you guys are into. Atheists do it too. Philosopher Peter Kraft said this, the opposite of Christianity is not atheism, but idolatry. It's not atheism, but idolatry. We all have a God Now, that was part one. Part two is going to be short, shorter, and part three even shorter. Part two, how does this affect all the other commandments? How does, maybe another way to put it, how is it true that in order to break the other commandments, you have to break this one first? How is that true? I want to try to show you quickly by looking at the other commandments. So let's go. Let's keep going through Exodus 20. 
Verse 4, the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So this is God saying, even if you claim that you're worshiping me, don't take an image. Don't carve out a bird. Don't go bowing to a tree and saying that you're worshiping me. Don't do that. Don't do that. He's he's basically saying that if he's the one to be worshipped, he gets to tell us how to worship him. Right? And he says that there's nothing on the earth that reflects his image except the incarnation of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Later in Colossians 1, he is talked about as the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Nothing else. So we don't look to anything else as the image that we need to have in our possession. Because when we do that, you know what it shows us? It shows us that we're not resting in the one true God. When we have to have a statue or have to have a cross to pray to as if God's going to hear our prayers better because we're praying to a cross, it's showing that I don't really trust you as God. I need to have some sort of control over this. In other words, I need to be a little God like myself here. It'd be like if I took a photo of Jess on a date and said, don't worry, I'm thinking about you, but I just, it's easier to control a photo of you than to control the real thing. So I don't know how a date's going to go. You want to talk about some things that are difficult. I'm just going to take a photo of you and we're going to have this date. God's like, no, don't do that with creative things. Don't make images and claim that you're worshiping me because that's not truly worshiping me. Verse 5. Oh, that was the, this is the continuation of that one. You don't bow down to them. Don't serve them. I'm a jealous God. That jealous God, that, that's, that's a good kind of jealousy. If I brought home that Stacy and my wife was like, get her out of here, that's a healthy kind of jealousy. And then, is it not? I'm jealous for our marriage, for the health of our marriage, for the purity of our marriage. It's a good kind, and that's what God has for us. Next commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, yes, saying, you know, Jesus Christ or oh my God as curse words um, is, is a form of doing this, but it's not the only way we do this. When you sing a song about God, but you're obsessing about money or your career or the respect that you didn't get from your spouse because respect has become an idol, that's using his name in vain. I'm going to sing about you. You, you, you know, give you lip service, but my heart is far from you. My heart is devoted to other things right now. When God's not on the throne of our hearts, when other things are, we just give him lip service. We just give him lip service. And, and God constantly condemned the Israelites throughout the Old Testament for this. You give me lip service, but you're guilty of injustice. You're guilty of greed and, and other forms of idolatry. Next one. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." When God is not God, when God is not on the throne of our hearts, we cannot rest. We can't trust him to provide. We can't trust him to deliver. We have to keep going, going, going. We have to keep busting out our to-do list. We have to keep accomplishing. 
Young business owners are often guilty of this. Old business owners, for that matter, are guilty of this. Become slaves to their business. I can't take a day off. I can't stop and rest. I can't trust God with the results here. I have to take every phone call. I have to make sure all my clients are pleased and happy all the time. Could be an indicator of idolatry. Something else has become too important. Whether it's the money you get from it, whether it's the reputation of your business, whether it's just a feeling of being accomplished, whether it's proving yourself to your parents or your in-laws through your business. There's all kinds of idols that might be behind the idol of why we can't stop working and why we don't have hearts that can rest in God. And when we don't rest in Him, you know what it leads to? You know what I said? It leads to injustice towards others. Don't make your servants work either or the animals. Don't abuse them. Your lack of trust in God leads to the abuse of others under your care, under your influence. Next one. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Teenagers, when you rebel against your parents, it is because, I'm going to just say this point blank, it is because they have become obstacles to something that is too important to you. Right? So they have gotten in the way of something that is too important, so I can't listen to them. You rebel, you push back, whether it's a toy, whether it's a privilege, whether it's going out, whether it's prom weekend, whatever it is, it has become too important, and you rebel, you can't honor, you can't obey, you can't listen to them, can't trust them as authority. Now, this is, I'm putting aside the extreme cases of parents who've been abusive. We talked about a little bit about that last week. Put, putting that aside for a moment. But assuming parents are caring for their kids and trying to do their best, and the kid's saying fighting back, pushing back. There's an idol behind that, usually. You shout not murder. What's behind murder? Something's become too important. Money, power, influence, control. Revenge. I need to get justice my way. And then I'll just finish off with the last few. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't make those things too important that you grab them and break limits that I've put on your life. Don't go taking something that's not yours because it's become too important. Even when you lie and bear false witness, what's behind that? You trying to protect something. Money, power, influence. Maybe you're just your own image. Sometimes when my kids lie, sometimes it's to protect the privilege that they think will be taken away if we find out they did something wrong. You know, sometimes it's for that. That's the idol behind it. But sometimes, even if we say, you won't be in trouble, just tell us the truth. And sometimes what's hard for them to let go is their image. They have this need to project their best self to us. Because that's in every human being, isn't it? And that's probably an, that's an idol that I didn't talk about earlier with our culture. Self-image. What we project to social media, what we project to the world. Oh, man, is that not an idol? And so we will lie. We will put up false images of ourselves. We will exaggerate stories to make ourselves look better. Idolatry. Idolatry. Breaking the first commandment leads to the breaking of all the others. Jesus was once asked, which of the commandments is the greatest one? And he said, some of you know it, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He was summing up the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments. 
He said the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, which is the summing up of the next six commandments. We're going to talk more about that one next week. But the first and greatest is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, don't give me lip service. Don't believe the right things about me alone. Don't just check off a list of doctrines in order to get baptized. I want your heart. I want your passion. I want your devotion. I want you to give me ultimate obedience. Everything. You will push aside everything else in order to know me more, in order to love me. When there's a, when there's a crisis point where it's me or something else, you'll push that aside. That's what Jesus meant. One of my prayers as a father is that my, I'll, I actually have an excerpt from my journal. I've been praying this since last year. I'll end with this. Since last year, I've been praying this as a father. I don't want my kids to think of me so much as a pastor as much as someone who loves Jesus. Not just someone who wants to talk about Jesus, but actually treasures Jesus above all. Which goes back to joy and hungering for Jesus more than anything else. That's something I've been praying for. Because what I don't want to do is teach them that other things are important. Yeah, 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 we give Jesus lip service. Yeah, 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 your dad's a pastor and that's why he does those things. But really what he cares about is X, Y, and Z. Oh, God, I don't want that to happen. I don't, I don't want that to be communicated to them. And too often it probably is. I remember when I freshly painted our deck, they would make this joke, Mommy cares about the inside of the house, Daddy cares about the deck. Don't spill anything on it. And... Yeah, careful with your stuff. I want, us to, I want them to be careful with our stuff. Absolutely. But I don't want them to think of, Daddy really cares about the deck. Don't spill anything on it, right? I don't want the deck to be what's most important. There's been so many other things. I mean, they've seen me and Jess disagree. And they've probably gotten the impression that being right for me is more important than treasuring Jesus. Hmm? Parents, ever happen? They just really care about being right and proving the other person wrong. Sometimes their moral behavior becomes too important. Sometimes them being good moral kids can be more important than Jesus. Good Lord, if they grow up to be moral kids but don't know Jesus or see in their parents, so long as we're good, then we're good. No. No. Without Jesus, being good is nothing. I care about their health. I want them eating well and getting enough sleep, but I don't want them to think their health is more important than Jesus. There's so many things that I can list. I want them to see that I love Jesus, and that's something that God is constantly showing me. This is too important. You've got a cottontail, Chris. You've got to die too. And so that leads us into part three. As we end, as we close, we're going to identify our gods, our idols, our, our false gods and cottontails and the things that have become too precious as of late. And as the band leads us in worship, we're going to write on index cards that are on either table. And we're just going to identify those things and we're going to put them in the basket as a confession. And say, God, I, I don't want this to be so important. And I named big ones in our culture, but there could be there could be very small ones in your life. It could be having an orderly house. It, it could be uh, the approval of a certain person, a co-worker. It could be the need to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. There's all kinds of things that we make idols out of. And I just want to encourage us to write it down as a confession, not to feel guilty and ashamed. God knows that we're on a journey. And he's constantly trying to rescue us as the good God that he is and rescue us from those things, the clutches of those things. 
So there's cards on either table. There's baskets. You could just don't you know, don't don't put your name. I'm not asking you to put your name. Just write it down and stick it in. But let's stand. I want to read one more scripture over you. Ben, come on down here. This past week, I was going through the book of Ephesians, and a certain passage stood out to me. It's from Ephesians 5, where the Apostle Paul said, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What stood out to me was, you know, preparing to talk about idols. Don't get drunk on wine. Getting drunk on wine is one form of idolatry. It's taking alcohol, which is okay in moderation, and elevating it too high. Going to it to be filled. Going to it to be comforted. Going to it to let it drive our lives, right? That's one form. But it just, it just, it just made me think about what else do we get drunk on? What else do we get intoxicated with? Insert whatever that is. Don't get intoxicated with blank with the praise of other people, with the need to be right, with the need to show others that they're wrong. Don't get intoxicated with the media, with the news. Don't get intoxicated with sports. Don't get intoxicated with you fill in the blank. What is it for you that you run to, that you get filled up on, that is driving you too much, driving your emotions? What are you afraid of losing? What makes you angry? Those are indicators of what you run to. And the Apostle Paul said, instead, be filled with the Spirit. It's only by the power of the Spirit that we can make much of God the way we are supposed to. All Christians who have trusted in Jesus have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. But there's a difference between Him indwelling us and Him filling us. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't say to Christians to be filled. The verbiage is to be continually getting filled. It's a daily, sometimes hourly, <laughs> Sometimes a minute by minute where we go, Lord, I need you to fill me with your power, with your love, with your peace, with your joy. Fill me right now so I can love this person. Fill me right now so that the results are praising him, thanking him, and look, submitting one to another. You know what submission implies? Whatever it is we disagree on ain't that important. I can let it go. I can submit. I can, it's okay. It's not that important. I don't have to win this one. Being filled with the Spirit will get you there. So write on the index card confessing what you run to, what you get drunk with, what you get intoxicated by. And then as we sing, ask God to fill me with your Spirit so that I'm filled with thanksgiving and I can submit my preferences and whatever else I formally clung to too much. Jesus, as we prepare to respond to your word, I pray that you would show every single person, every man, woman, teenager, child here, show them what might be too important right now. Give them the grace to confess it. And then, Lord, as we sing and praise you, I pray that your spirit would fill them. Fill them. Fill them afresh. Thank you for your faithfulness to answer such prayers. Amen. Okay, so both tables, there's pens, there's cards. Go whenever you feel led to go.